0: Well, we do uh, continue our uh, series entitled, What Jesus Looks For in a Church, and this is a study of Christ's messages uh, to the seven churches that is found in Revelations uh, chapters uh, 2 and 3. And this morning we come to the fourth church, the church in Thyatira, uh, which I've entitled this message, The Church in Bed with Jezebel. Uh, Look there at the introduction in your sermon notes. What does Jesus look for in a church? Well, in Christ's messages to the first three churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamum, we learn Jesus is looking for a love so deep for Him that church members remain faithful in suffering even to the point of death before denying Him or compromising His Word. Now today, in the message to the church in Thyatira, we discover Jesus is looking for a church free from all moral compromise to walk with Him in moral purity. That will be the truth that we see today. What Jesus is looking for in a church, a church where there is no moral compromise and where we walk with Him in moral purity. Uh, this is a priority for believers that is spelled out very, very quickly uh, throughout the entire New Testament. You see several examples right there in your sermon notes. Ephesians 1, 4. For God chose us in Him before the creation of the world. Why? To be holy and blameless in His sight. If you are saved, God saved you to form the character of Christ in you so that He could be displayed through you that others would see Jesus come to know Him and it would all resound to the praise and glory of His grace. Look at Titus chapter 2 verse 14 talks about Jesus who gave Himself for us. Why? To redeem us, to purchase us as His people from all wickedness. And notice, and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Also in that same passage we read, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, he says, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel or his own body in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion. Let me begin by giving just a little bit of background information on the city of Thyatira. Uh, We learned in the first study in this series that the seven cities where the seven churches were located uh, were all in Asia Minor, and these cities were connected by a circular road. In the last message, uh, we looked at the church at Pergamum, Uh, From Pergamum, which was the northernmost of all the cities, the road curved east and then southeast to Thyatira. And there was a distance of about 35 miles between the two cities. The city of Thyatira was actually the least known and the least important of all seven of the cities. Uh, The city was initially built uh, to be a buffer zone uh, ...to slow down advancing armies coming against Pergamum... ...which was the capital and the most magnificent city in Asia Minor. Therefore, the city of Tyre was considered expendable... ...and in its history was repeatedly destroyed and rebuilt. But once the Romans conquered Asia Minor, uh, they brought peace to the region which resulted in Thyatira becoming a flourishing commercial city. The city's main industry was the production of wool and dyed goods, especially uh, making purple fabrics. Uh, The city was especially known for numerous trade guilds, very similar to our trade unions uh, today. Uh, the city boasted trade guilds for linen workers, dyers, uh, makers of clothing, leatherworks, uh, potters, bakers, bronze smiths, carpenters, and even slave dealers. The existence of the trade guilds is very, very relevant to our study of the church in Thyatira. To obtain work and make a living in the city, you are required To become a member of one of the trade guilds. And that created a great, great crisis for the believers in the city. Why? Because all the trade guilds, every one of them were connected with pagan idols. And the members were required to attend meetings that included worshipping the particular idol for that trade guild eating meat sacrificed to that idol, and often engaging in drunkenness and immorality. If a Christian refused to attend, refused to participate in the meetings, he could not be in a trade guild, and in essence, he then became blackballed from finding work. That made it very, very difficult for the Christians in the city Uh, to provide even the basic needs for their families. We're talking about needs like shelter, food, and clothing. Now try to imagine the pressure to compromise your faith by joining and participating in a trade guild which you know will involve the worship of false gods in order to meet the needs of your family. And we'll discover a little later how this fits into our study today. Now, going on in your notes, look now at the builder of the church, or it may have been more appropriate for me to have put the builder inspector of the church. Uh, Look at Revelation 2.18. This is how he begins, how Jesus begins his message to the church. And to the angel, or the pastor of the church in Thyatira, write, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet or burnished bronze, says this. Now just pause right there. It is obvious that the way Jesus describes Himself to the church is meant to get their undivided attention, to create in their hearts a holy awe, a reverential fear for Him as their sovereign Lord and Judge. Look at the three truths Presented about Christ in relation to the church. First, he called himself the son of God. That Jesus is the supreme God. He is the authority over the church. To whom all the members of the church are held accountable. In other words, we exist as his means to accomplish what? His ends. Not the other way around. We as members of his church... Or to submit to his authority, to serve his agenda, to seek his approval. And then notice eyes, it says, like a flame of fire. And what that is indicating is, is that Jesus sees through all pretensions of his people. He knows the true motives and intents of every member's heart. Absolutely nothing is hidden from his sight. Now just pause and reflect on that a moment. Absolutely nothing is hidden from him. No action, no attitude, not even a single thought. And then he says, feet, his feet are burnished brass. And that indicates that Jesus is the judge of sin. He will trample sin underfoot and severely chasten the sinner. Yes, you may be a child of God. You may be a believer. And if you are, He loves you with a love that will never let you go. But He also loves you with a love that's never going to let you off. And because He's committed to your sanctification, because He's committed to your purity, you becoming more and more like Jesus, He will discipline. He will chasten. He will correct. And that often can be very painful But the end result is what holiness as we become broken and as we submit to him and he has the opportunity to deal with those areas of our life that are out of harmony with the character of christ that in the end are only going to harm us as well now as jesus did with the churches at ephesus and pergamum he first encourages the church Uh, before he rebukes the church. So first look at the beauty of the church in Thyatira. And there was there was there was a lot of beauty in this church. We're going to see that this church was like a just a beautiful garden where the fairest of Christian graces uh, were growing. And Jesus first commends the church for the quality of their deeds. That's his first commendation for the quality of their deeds. Look at verse 19, the first part of that verse. He says, I know, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance. Jesus commends the church for four things, love, faith, service, and perseverance. Now, if you have a pen, if you have a pencil, and you're taking notes, draw a line from love to service. And then draw another line from faith to perseverance. Love for Jesus produces service for the welfare of others. And especially the spiritual welfare of others. And faith in Christ produces perseverance in life. Why? Because we are confident He is causing all things To work together for our spiritual good. His greater glory. And we know he rewards all who diligently seek him. So he first commends this church. For the beautiful quality of their deeds. And then second. Notice he commends them for the quantity of their deeds. That they are growing in these graces. Look at that latter part of verse 19. And that your deeds of late. Are greater than at first. Their loving service was becoming greater and their persevering faith was growing stronger. As they abided in Christ, they produced the fruits of the Spirit and they were bringing spiritual nourishment to others. And like Thyatira, Edgewood Baptist Church is to be a beautiful garden, producing the fruits of the Spirit in order that we might provide nourishment. To those out in a lost world that are hungry and need our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But now we come to Christ's criticism. We come to His rebuke. So although there was much uh, beauty in the church, now look with me at the blight of the church in Thyatira. In the middle of this beautiful garden where Christian graces were blossoming, there was growing a poisonous weed. In this healthy body of believers, a malignant cancer had begun to grow that threatened the church's very survival. So first look at the parasite that infected the church. The parasite that infected the church. And look at verses 20 and 21. He says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. And she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Now, those are strong words. And the first thing, the most important thing we need to observe, is that Jesus' rebuke, don't miss this, is directed to the church. Not to Jezebel. In other words, Jesus was angry that this church had tolerated false teaching and sinful behavior rather than confronting it and condemning it. The church was tolerating a woman, we're told. A false prophet whose name was probably not actually Jezebel. But she's called that because she possessed qualities like the infamous Jezebel in the Old Testament. Uh, You remember her? Uh, You'll find her story in uh, 1 Kings. Uh, She was the wife of, you might remember her husband? Ahab, King Ahab of of Israel. Uh, This is what we read in 1 Kings 21-25. Surely, there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Quite a statement. But here's the rest of the sentence. Because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. Jezebel was a foreigner. And she imported the false worship of Baal into the nation of Israel. She was a master of deception, a master of manipulation. And sadly, she led God's people into idolatry and immorality. As you know, on one occasion, she even sent Elijah running in fear. And she put to death many of God's prophets and servants, shed their blood. Now, in the same way, just like that Old Testament Jezebel corrupted the children of Israel, this New Testament Jezebel was deceiving and corrupting God's people. Very similar to the error that we found in the church at Pergamum. And I hope you were here a couple of weeks ago for that message. Remember, he rebuked them for tolerating the teachings of what he called Balaam and the teachings of the Nicolaitans. And what's going on here is very, very similar, almost the identical same thing. This Jezebel taught, just like was being taught in Pergamum, That believers could blend their faith in Christ with the values and morality of this world in order to make it easier to live and escape persecution. She taught they had the freedom to join the local trade guilds and participate in idolatry, which often led to immorality, which is said right here in the passage. So, pretty attractive. You can worship God, you can have your ticket to heaven. And at the same time, participate in the trade guilds with their idolatry and immorality. Good for business, good for making money, enjoying the pleasures of the flesh, and best of all, escaping all the unpleasantries of persecution. By the way, that's called compromise. And as we saw last week, to compromise is what? To kiss the devil. You remember the third temptation of Christ? The devil takes Jesus up on a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and he says all of that can be yours without any suffering. You can bypass the cross. All you have to do is bow down before me and just one time, and that's the strength of the Greek text kiss me. Just one time bow down, kiss your hand toward me, and it's yours. It's yours. And you remember Christ's response? He said, be gone from me, devil. For you shall worship the Lord God alone. Alone. See, as believers, we're married to Christ. And being married to Christ, we shouldn't be kissing the devil. And that's exactly what compromise is. That's exactly what sin is. It's an act of unfaithfulness with Christ. It's an act of spiritual adultery. So Satan... And his Jezebels, his false teachers, what they promote, they, they don't, don't try to necessarily just attack Christianity and remove it. No, they say they sort of try to uh, promote a compromised, uh, a counterfeit uh, Christianity uh, where you can have all the world offers in Jesus too. Where, where Jesus actually makes all your dreams come true. This health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. They promise you a life without suffering, a life without a cross. But Jesus made it very, very clear. To follow Him is to suffer. And we're going to suffer because when you follow Him, you will be at odds with the values and moralities of this world. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16. And as I read this, keep in mind, this is not a call to some kind of higher Christian life. It is not a call to discipleship. It is a call to conversion, which means becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ in the repentance and obedience and surrender of faith. But this is what he said. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself And take up his cross and follow me. No rival, no refusal, no retreat. For whoever wishes to save his life will what? Lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? That's authentic Christianity. Denying oneself. Taking up your cross, following Jesus with an uncompromised faith, regardless the price. Counting it an honor to suffer for your master. Now, think, think what that meant for the believers at the time the book of Revelation was written. Well, we've already seen it. It meant as we saw In our study of the church at Smyrna, as we saw in our study of the church in Pergamum, and now in Thyatira, what did it mean? It meant to suffer persecution. It meant destitution. It meant slander. It meant imprisonment. And it could even mean martyrdom to remain faithful to Jesus. And we need to understand today, we are called to follow Christ with the same uncompromising faith. And to be faithful to Him... Again, regardless of the price. Now look at when we've seen the parasite that infected the church. Now look at the pruning to heal the church. The pruning to heal the church. Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Notice the three I will statements of Christ in uh, Revelation 22 and 23. On how he will deal with Jezebel and her followers. Uh, verse 22 it says, I will cast her, Jezebel, upon a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. Now, it is very important to note that back in verse 21, Jesus gave this Jezebel ample opportunity to repent, but did you hear the verse? But she refused. Verse 21 read, I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. As a result, Jesus pronounces final judgment on her in verse 22. He says, you enjoy a bed of immorality? You refuse to repent? Then I'm going to throw you into a bed of sickness and the ensuing... What's being said there is a bed of sickness, what? Unto death. Because of her sin, and by the way, do you remember how the Old Testament Jezebel's life ended? Right, according to God's prophecy that He gave through His 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 men through His prophets, she was cast from a window, splattered all over the ground below. God said, "The dogs will eat her, and she'll never be buried," and that's exactly what happened. But then Jesus gives her followers one last opportunity to repent. But if his, her followers refuse to repent and correct their ways, look at the second I will statement of Christ. In verse 23 there, I will kill her children with pestilence. In other words, those that are, have embraced her ways, that are following her, that she's, she's birthed. And all the churches will know That I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. In other words, Jesus is saying, let's not make this difficult. He's saying, I'm about to clean house here in Thyatira. And I'm going to do this to give all the churches throughout all history a warning that I see all things. And I will not tolerate evil and moral impurity. And there a, comes a point, if you do not repent, if you don't deal with it, I'm going to deal with it. So again, the message is clear. Jesus is serious about holiness and moral purity. And although He is patient, although He is so very long-suffering, and yes, He does give ample opportunity to repent, there comes that point when He says, enough is enough. And I have to deal with this. And if necessary, He says, I'll remove you. To preserve my honor. And to purify my bride. And remember. 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 Jesus knows you. Inside and out. Nothing has ever escaped his notice. Then we come to the third I will of Christ. There in verse 20. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. In other words, He's just. He chastens, He judges the sinners, but He rewards those who are righteous. And then, as we sort of bring all this to a close, look at the burden placed on the faithful in the church. Verses 24 and 25. He says, But I say to you, the rest of you who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you, nevertheless... What you have, hold fast until I come. I love that. He says, I'm not going to put any further burden on you. Just one thing. Hold fast. Hold fast. Hold fast until I come. I think of Romans 12, 9, which says, Let your love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and what? Cling. Hold fast to that which is good. See, Jesus, listen now. Listen, this is so important for the American church, the church in the West. Jesus never promised deliverance from suffering in this life. But what He does, He exhorts us to hold on, to remain faithful to Him, regardless what comes, to stay true to our marriage vows to Him until He returns for His bride. And when He returns, look at the future blessings Uh, promised to his faithful church first all who remain a faithful bride to christ even though despised by the world will rule the world with christ when he returns what a wonderful marvelous truth the godly will suffer persecution jesus was very clear you will not be able to escape it because your life is at odds with the values and morality of this world. You're always having to swim upstream. It's never going to be easy. And as we get nearer the ladder, closer to His return, days are going to become even more difficult. Persecution will continue to intensify against believers, as we've, we're witnessing here in our own uh, country. But what a wonderful thought. Yes, although we may be despised by the world in this life, there is coming a day when we're going to rule the world with Christ. Look at verses 26 and 27, which is basically a quote from Psalm chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. But the beautiful thing is, Psalm chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 is a messianic prophecy concerning Jesus. But here he quotes it in a manner in which he we're being told we're going to share authority with him. Notice it says, and he who overcomes. And he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. And he's talking about his millennial kingdom. We know that when he uh, returns there at the battle of Armageddon, and uh, there's the judgment of the sheep and the goats, we just don't have time to go into great detail, but he establishes his throne in Jerusalem, the real Jerusalem in the Middle East. And there's that millennial, thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. And he says, my church, my bride will be my queen. I'll be the king, you'll be the queen, and you're going to assist me to administrate uh, over the face of this earth and to rule and reign with me. And then the second promise is though we suffer for Christ in this life though we suffer for Christ in life we will share Christ's glory in the next Revelation 2 28 and 29 and I will give him the morning star he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches we believe morning star is a reference to Jesus himself and the marvelous promise here is if you remain faithful even in the midst of suffering because I am your first love, because I am your greatest treasure, then you're going to share my glory with me in the next. There'll be an intimacy with me, a closeness, as uh, you are my eternal bride to reign and rule uh, with me. Father, uh, we've been a little hurried today because of the time, but what a... uh, Uh, strong letter strong message powerful message to this church Uh, but thank you in this although it's very strong and it's a warning to repent yet we see your love because you always give your people ample opportunity to repent you find no pleasure just like a parent doesn't find any pleasure in spanking their child and having to discipline their child. But when it's necessary, we will do it because we love our child. And so, Lord, thank you as we shared earlier. Although you love us with a love that will never let us go, you love us with a love that will never let us off. So, Lord, we pray you would purify us here at Edgewood Baptist Church, that we would truly have our eyes open to see that you are the Son of God, the supreme authority to, to whom we will all be held accountable. That we would see you do have eyes like a burning flame that sees right through us. And there's nothing hid from you. And that uh, your feet are like burnished brash. And if we do not repent, uh, you will deal with that sin. And uh, you will bring uh, chastening. And so, Lord, uh, uh, as we emphasized in the uh, Lord's Supper with the boys and girls, uh, Father, be that power at work in us that... Uh, Truly, there would be no rival to Jesus in our hearts. There would never be any refusal to Him. And there would never be any retreat. And that we would be like those faithful in Thyatira. Like those faithful in Smyrna, in Pergamum. Who, although they were up against severe persecution. Uh, they knew an uncompromising faith. Regardless the price and they counted it an honor to suffer for you so lord work that grace into our hearts and into our lives which in jesus name we pray amen